0: Everyone, this is the Basement Girls. I'm
1: Steph Grossman, and I'm Bianca Pettis. We are a horror and whatnot podcast that covers film and literature across the genre. Hell yeah! And today we're going to be talking about. Ch- 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 ah, ah, ah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about Friday the Thirteenth mm-hmm. because it's summer. Um... It's the end of summer, but we wanted to get to the point of talking about summer camp horror just because it is a really interesting subgenre of horror, and we have like a whole list of summer camp horrors that we want to get through, so we'll maybe do some this summer, some next summer. We're sort of wanting to start it off with probably one of the most iconic mm-hmm. summer camp horrors, which would be Friday the 13th. So um, maybe let's just get into news really quickly before we jump into a quick history of summer camp and then a quick history of how Friday the 13th came to be, and then Mm -hmm. we'll get into talking about the movie. My news is no news, basically. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I don't really have anything new. My story, uh, Likeness, came out in Joyland. It's kind of horror tinged. And that's at bit.ly slash mirror story if you're interested in checking it out. And then I also just have been a little bit more on a roll with getting back into my own writing, of course, right before the semester starts. (laughs) But uh, I won't say what my next short story is about um, because I don't want anyone to steal my idea.
1: Ooh, okay, cool. Okay. I also do not have any news. I'm just out here having a good-ass time. So no news, good news, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I went on Facebook, and then I got a little notification, okay, that it is Steph and I's four-year friendship anniversary on Facebook today. So it's very celebratory given that we are here, you know, so we're recording an episode, and it just so happens to be our friendship anniversary. How fucking cute is that? That is so cute. I didn't know that until... You just said it basically.
0: Yeah. That makes me so happy. So
1: it's our four-year. We've known each
0: other for four years. Yeah, it's our four-year friendship anniversary. That's so cool. Yeah, I was uh, just reminiscing with Bianca that, like, we met because Bianca just turned to me when we were at a new student meeting for the MFA program that we met at at Texas State, and she's just like, hi, I'm Bianca. (laughs) And I was like, whoa, somebody's actually, like, talking to me and saying hi and, you know. So leave that to Bianca to be the person that says hi.
1: (laughs) I'm happy to be that. I'm happy to be that. Um, So, yeah, so that's our news. No news. Um, But, yeah, let's get into the just a little rundown of, like, the history of summer camp. So I'd say that it seems to
0: be that the summer camp – phenomenon didn't really start until the late 1800s. So like 1870s, 1880s. Um, That was when the first summer camps came about in like America, at least. They were usually for boys and they were for escaping like urban life, right? So there was definitely this move toward recognizing like kids are not like growing up in the woods anymore. Maybe there's something that will help them mature if they experience, you know, like nature, the way that we used to live. And then so uh, this is from Star Daily by the author Olivia Gershon. Um, she writes that in 1900, there were fewer than 100 camps in the US. By 1918, there were more than 1000. So they quickly grew. But uh, there's this other uh, view of it that this psychologist in the 1940s, Fritz, I think it, you pronounce it vital. Mm -hmm. noted, and this is again from Livia Gershon's article, that the natural world could be frightening for city kids used to the protective comforts of the mechanized urban environment. Vital believed that summer camp could have therapeutic value, but he also worried about idealizing some vague romantic past, particularly given that in the fall, kids would be headed back to the modern world that the camp mythos urged them to distrust. So, I find it interesting that particular quote because there's this aspect of fear, right? The child psychologist even in the 1940s is saying camp might be too scary for kids. So I find it fascinating that even like some of the earliest writings like about it has to do with in a way horror and wanting kids to or people to be aware that kids could have a bad experience at camp. Mm. And then I listened to an episode of this podcast I recently discovered called binchtopia It's pretty popular, actually, but they had an episode recently called Camp Cool, Not School Cool, uh, which is totally my experience um, <laughs> with camp. <laughs> and that gave a more in-depth history of summer camps, and specifically in relation to Jewish summer camps, which is where every Jewish person has ever lost their virginity. (laughs) Um, Not that I – I mean, I know I have a Jewish last name. I was not brought up Jewish, and I never went to a Jewish summer camp, but everyone I know that went to Jewish summer camps lost their virginity and uh, smoked pot for the first time while they were there. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so
1: let's just add it to the list of things that I did not experience that would have gotten me to lose my virginity sooner rather than later. So basement one, number two, summer camp. So you never went to summer camp? Never went to summer camp. Even a day camp? Never a day camp. Um, Whoa. Because my dad was older, you know what I mean? And so he was at that point, like already retired. And so he would just take care of me. But yeah, I always wanted to do summer camp and also like sleepaway camp in particular, strangely enough, because of all the movies, like Friday the 13th and like all these, like, oh, what? I was like, Oh, like <laughs> for some reason, I have no idea why someone could psychoanalyze me, I suppose. But like, it's very romantic. We're not like romantic in the sense <laughs> of like lovey dovey, but it's like romanticized for me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I just, if there is a adult adult, like slasher summer camp theme sleepaway camp out there that it's like themed after like friday the 13th minus the actual killing like i'm i will be there in a heartbeat like tell me where it's at like i will give them all my
0: money i was gonna jump into this later but maybe i'll just say it now so when i was living in new york city i had two roommates brian and ryan uh (laughs) and one of them ryan Eventually, one of his friends moved in. His name was Blim. Both of them were Boy Scouts growing up, and they actually went to the summer camp that Friday the 13th was filmed at. So Ooh. they spent their entire, like, childhoods, adolescence. They became Eagle Scouts, so they were going to the camp even while we were living together, and they were, like, in their 20s. Um, it's called... Hold on. I have to jump down on our dock because I wasn't planning to talk about yes. whoopers. You know, just me on the fly. No big deal. Camp Nobibosco, uh, which stands for uh, North Bergen Boy Scouts. So it's in North Jersey. And when they were growing up, it was actually like hush hush. They were told like, hey, yes, this is where Friday the 13th was filmed. But we're not trying to like advertise that because we don't want kids to like not come. Mm,
1: you know, yeah, we don't yeah, want yeah.
0: the parents to like say no. Um, although they did have rumors, they were there were rumors spread around the camp that some of the fake bodies from the movie are like at the bottom of the lake and (laughs) (laughs) they're just waiting there to be discovered. Um, So I was like, oh my God, that's such a cute little rumor that they had. um, (laughs) Such a cute little rumor there's bodies. Fake ones. Which is the the key thing. (laughs) Like, like, I'm like, is that supposed to be scary then? (laughs) Um, But now the camp, as you can probably tell, has fully embraced it and now they in the fall do like actual tours and overnight Experiences. Oh my gosh. Uh. Um, yeah. So that maybe we should do that sometime. I'll look into that for sure. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. So North Jersey is where it's at um for that.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, I also like listened to that episode from Beanstopia that you um had shared with me. Camp cool, not school cool. Were you cool in school? Because I was not. <laughs> no, <so. laughs> of course not. Um yeah, so I really, I really, really loved the context in that podcast episode because um, they like historicized summer camp, um, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's the same thing that we try to do in this in this podcast when it comes to like the horror movies that we watch for this. Like, what does it mean for the society at the time? So I want to get into that. You know, later about like, okay, I feel like in the 80s, like 1970s, 1980s, like there was an influx of summer camp horror and slasher horror in particular. And so I want to like just maybe have a discussion of like like why that was such a popular theme to do movies about during that time. Yeah, like
0: what was happening that made people turn to horror and specifically camp horror at that time. Like, campy camp horror, actually, because yeah. it was also campy,
1: which we could do a whole other, like, episode exactly. on what is camp in horror. I think I might have gone on a rant about this in our episode on the, the wind. Um, I think horror can be a huge lens to talk about society. And so I'm so excited to talk about it in terms of summer camp horror. We can – jump into that pretty soon in a way, because
0: really the only other stuff I wanted to mention, which has very much to do with this phenomenon of summer camp being a scary thing, is that I feel like, yeah, like even in the 1940s, there is this child psychologist talking about how it could be scary for, for kids from the city. And obviously we associate summer camp with campfire stories, sitting around the campfire, like scaring ourselves, right? Which goes back centuries in terms of that type of storytelling but then even in like um hello mudda hello fada a letter from camp by alan sherman in 1963 do you know that song no i don't when i was in school we had to sing it like all the time but anyway it's the song where it's like written it from the perspective of a kid who's at camp and is like i want to leave i'm scared um and so like at one point some of the lyrics are like all the counselors hate the waiters. The lake has alligators. The head coach wants no sissies. So he reads to us from something called Ulysses. I mean, Ulysses sucks. So that sucks (laughs) for them. Um, Do you remember Jeffrey Hardy? They're about to organize a searching party. You know, there's all this stuff about kids going missing, you know, alligators in the lake, people getting food poisoning and dying from it. And it's to the tune of Something called the Dance of the Hours, which is the third act of like a famous Italian opera called La Gioconda, eighteen seventy six, and it's a really creepy opera that this song is taken from. So I find it really fascinating that that this iconic song, like kind of making fun of summer camp, has all this like creepy undertones. undertones. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: It goes like did it did it did it did it da 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 does that yeah sound familiar to you?
1: um not really but I will listen <laughs> I will listen to it later um you're a little off tune I'm sorry Steph to tell oh, you <laughs> um
0: but anyway so those are sort of those those undertones of summer camp that I really wanted to, yeah, to get
1: at very like subliminal messages of just like Like, creepy. It's creepy. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of just kind of set the context of how we define summer camp, right? Because we wanted Mm -hmm. to specifically do summer camp horror, right? So how do we define summer camp horror slash, like, slasher, slash, slasher? (laughs) And, like, what makes, like, what are the characteristics of a good summer camp slasher film? So, for example, like, in the last episode, For, um, you know, our found footage episode, we kind of went down a list of like, you know, that when you watch a found footage, you're going to get these, you know, things and you're going to you know, you're going to have somebody smashing, you know, their head against a keyboard, you're going to have somebody (laughs) being like, get that camera out of my face. So what are the things that we can say are? characteristics of summer camp slasher film so let's start with the definition of summer camp horror uh well i feel like it
0: has to be sleepaway camp for has sure to, mm. like it can't be some bullshit day camp thing. <laughs> none of that bullshit around here mm-hmm. none of that bullshit no yeah for me also like i wanted also to go to sleepaway camp very badly but i was only ever sent to day camp because my parents claimed they'd miss me too much oh my gosh like you know that sort of thing um <laughs> roll eyes <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, uh, so in day camp, I was always cooler, but I always knew that it was not as cool as it would be going to sleepaway camp. So I think definitely summer camp horror for me is there's, there's the fact that it is taking place like in a place where people are leaving to go to, and usually it's involving cabins or some sort of camping where this group is brought together and there's a counselor as opposed to just, like, a group of friends going to a cabin, right? I feel like that's very different. Um, It doesn't always have to involve kids, though. I mean, Friday the 13th, there's, like, basically no kids except for Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler. Um, I think also definitely sex. Yeah. That's in a lot of horror films, but I think sex in the cabins
1: losing virginity at camp it's a thing uh (laughs) yes yeah exactly i would say the same thing because i was thinking about this question while i was watching friday the 13th and i was like okay check check yeah what were you checking off so it's got to be a shower scene and or some boobies some titties (laughs) okay um there has to be somebody swimming in some body of water they they pretend to drown, yes. Um, there has to be a scene where there is a group of campers around a fire and somebody's singing <laughs> and then there has to be somebody running through the woods in a really slow pace. <laughs> <laughs> from somebody running from the the, sl- the person slashing, mm-hmm. um, and they fall for no reason. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. There has to be a POV shot from the perspective of the killer. Mm-hmm. Definitely a thing in, in Friday the 13th.
0: Yeah, especially like the camera kind of coming through and like kind of hitting leaves yeah. from trees as it goes, like, pff, like yeah. crackling through the leaves. Um, It'll be interesting for us to go back to this list when we start talking about other summer camp sort of as we go Um, because um, I'd be interested to see if if the movies we choose all do these tropes or if some of them subvert them or if some of them don't even include them. That's true. Um, Because, you know, this is the one, again, that really started it all. But this is where we're getting a lot of these tropes from. So um, I think that would be, that'd be interesting to look back. So we'll, we'll keep a little clip of this um, to look back at. Yeah.
1: Okay. Anything else on your um, list? That's, but, pretty, that's pretty much the big ones. And so, yeah, let's get into our little review of Friday the 13th. Especially now that we know all the historical context. Yeah. Um,
0: okay. So Friday the 13th, it came out in 1980. It was directed by Sean S. Cunningham, And actually his first two films were like rom-coms. So I find that an interesting choice of switch in genre. But it was written by Victor Miller. And actually sort of how Friday the 13th came together was that Cunningham and Miller teamed up and they'd actually like just taken out an ad in Variety Magazine and were like, hey, we're writing this this movie, want to buy the distribution rights to it? And then that's how it ended up becoming widely distributed was a couple of major like film companies started distributing it.
1: Damn. So
0: it's just amazing because I feel like that is not what happens today. You can't just take out an ad in a magazine. I wish it were that easy. Yeah, because otherwise it was an indie horror film. Like it was the first one to actually get international distribution despite being filmed as a completely like indie uh, film. And so eventually it went on to make $59.8 million worldwide. was the original budget. Um, You know, today we look at it and we're like, oh, it's kind of like fake. And, you know, Um, (laughs) yeah, Bianca, do you do you want to get into a little bit of a summary of what the movie is for anyone who has not seen it or who is trying to jog their memory if they saw it a long time ago?
1: Yeah, let me go ahead and jog y'all's memory real quick. So we have setting the scene. We have Camp Crystal Lake. Okay. And in 1957, a young boy drowned because he drowned because some counselors were having sex apparently, and were too busy doing the dirty to save this drowning boy. <laughs> um, and then in 1958, so a year later, two camp counselors are murdered, and again because they snuck out to have sex. So, hmm, interesting, interesting, right? And so yeah, so then present day or where the most of the movie is set. Is when the camp has reopened after all this time, um, and so we have you know the counselors coming back. We have you know kids coming, and essentially you know they get murdered one by one before the camp even opens. So I think they have like like a week until the camp opens, and so all of this you know havoc just is happens during that time. Um, some spoilers coming your way, we find out that it is – the the murders are, are being done by the mother of the young boy that drowned. And she essentially, like, hates counselors. And <laughs> she wants to kill them all. I thought it was an interesting
0: choice to have this all occur before camp starts. Right? I thought the same thing. I didn't expect that. Yeah, like – And then again, w- we'll get into, you know, the mother – Wow, we really jumped into that spoiler, but, like it really <laughs> I was <came> like to <laughs> Mrs. Voorhees., uh, but that was also a surprise for me because I, again, never had seen it. So the entire time I'm trying to figure out like, okay, I know that it's gonna be someone in a hockey mask, and you know, and that yeah, doesn't happen that doesn't happen. Apparently, it wasn't until the, the third movie mm-hmm. that the hockey mask starts being part of the the franchise. So even the second movie, which I feel like we should eventually talk about the movies, not every movie in the franchise, but getting their footing. I really like the beginnings of this stuff. And so I'd completely forgotten that in the beginning of Scream, there's that whole thing where Drew Barrymore is on the phone Mm -hmm. and the guy's like, quick, what happens at the end of uh, Friday the 13th, who's the killer? And she's like, it's Jason, it's Jason. And he's like, wrong answer. And mm-hmm. then he like kills her boyfriend or something. And she's like, no, it's Jason. He's like, nope, it's his mother. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: so, it's so interesting how like, then it just plays into all of the, like this movie plays into other movies. Like it is constantly being referenced Um, and there's a scene where I think it's the character that you don't like, um, Nettie. Nettie. Or Ned or whatever the fuck. Bianca knows this because in my notes, I'm like, fuck Nettie. I hate (laughs) him. He's a little bitch. Um, (laughs) He's such an asshole. (laughs) But yeah, he like wears at one point like a a shirt that has like, I think like 66 on it or something like that. He wears like a numbered shirt and we see that shirt again when Johnny Depp comes out in – um, Nightmare Before Elm Nightmare- – Nightmare on Elm Street. I was going to say Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, And so, yeah, they're constantly just talking to each other and, like, referencing each other. And I think that's just so fucking cool about horror movies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just as much as we have fun even just talking about them. Like, I feel like a lot of horror movie directors and production teams can have a lot of fun yeah, as well, I you agree. know. Yeah. Um, well, let me talk about Nettie first. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> like, let me talk about how shitty he fucking is. The reason I don't like him. Yeah, tell me. Is because he's just, well, he is an important character because he does set that, that suspense tone, right? Where when we get to the part where all the counselors are at the sleepaway camp, they're all like hanging out on the dock, swimming and all that stuff. And then at one point they're like, wait, something's wrong with Ned. And he's like out in the water and he's like, help help, you know, and then he like pretends to drown. Yeah. And then as they pulled him up, Kevin Bacon's there too. Oh yeah, Kevin, Kevin Bacon. Bacon <laughs> <laughs> like pulls him out. Um, And then the girl that he likes like starts giving him CPR and then he just starts like, you know, making out with her, like sticks his tongue down her throat. And she's like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh my god what an idiot and then like there's a couple of other times where he just like says
1: stupid shit wasn't it it's also um that part where he has the bow and arrow and he like shoots yeah. it that was another good foreshadowing
0: moment but yeah, yeah true they're over at the archery range and yeah and then she's just like I think it's Brenda I think it's Brenda too I was gonna say Brenda yeah that he likes Um, and then this like Arrow just comes right by her onto the target, and she's like, "Neddy," (laughs) as if like the stuff that he's doing is like not even dangerous. It's like, "Oh, Neddy, like you and your games, (laughs) yeah, Neddy, Ned, just being Ned." Um, how does he die? He's the first one to get. No, no. Well, I guess I guess Annie is the first one to get killed. Uh. But Nettie is, I guess, the second one to die. Yeah, technically. He does the thing where he's walking in the woods and then he hears something and he's like, hello, and then goes up to this abandoned cabin and is like, who's there? And then we don't even see him die on camera. He's just – we just know that he's dead. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So – but I think like the first thing that really sets the tone is those kids in the 50s um, having sex. (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs> or about to have sex and then they get murdered and then it cuts to present day which is 1979 so not real present day and there's this girl Annie who's like in this like actually really beautiful she's cute well I wasn't talking about her I was talking about the town but oh. I guess her t- <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess she was cute. Well, I was going to say, like, I related to her so much because she's, like, got her little backpack. A little – it's a huge backpack. It's a huge It's a backpack. huge backpack. <laughs> That's a good point. It's, like, bigger than her. Um, But she's got her backpack, and she's like, where's the camp? Like, I got to get to this camp. Like, I'm going to be the cook all summer. <laughs> I'm I'm cooking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and – um, Yeah. But, yeah, so then she goes into this diner, and everyone's warning her, like, don't go. Her death is probably the
1: – like, saddest to me because I feel Mm. like she had main character energy. Like, I I feel like she, I'm surprised, like, I'm a little pissed that she Mm. wasn't the final girl. That's a good point.
0: Yeah, because I feel like, like, why take that away from her? She was so excited. Yeah,
1: (laughs) seriously. And I don't know, like, she just had great hair. And I think I think final girls should have great hair. Are you saying that Alice? No way! Fun- <laughs> I no, I just realized. Like, no, I'm well, you know. Anyways, but I just wanted to interject that real quick. But, um, but yeah, she's our first, our first death. It's kind of like the townspeople's fault as well, you know, right? Because the
0: townspeople are like, "Don't go to that camp." Oh wait, well, we'll drive you there if you insist. And so then, but then the guy that drives her, the truck driver. Um, well, actually, we should also talk about Crazy Ralph for a sec because he's a red herring. Um, mm-hmm. But like the truck driver, like at one point, he's like kind of being like, don't listen to those people. And then he's like, wait, actually listen to them. Know, and then he like so kicks dumb. her out of his truck. And then she has to like hitchhike the rest of the way. And then so she ends up like getting into this car. Mm-hmm. And this is where you start to see things from the the killer's perspective because you're looking at her um, and she's talking to the killer and, and everything. And then at one point she's like, wait, you went past the the turn. Like, wait, where are you going? Turn around, like all that stuff. And then she has to get out of the car, runs in the woods, as you're saying. <laughs> and then she, you know, dies. So yeah. um, anyway, so she uh, is our first death. But you're right. I think that is not, that is unfair. Ned should have been the first
1: death. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's the second, whatever. Uh, yeah. But yeah, then we have the, uh you know the town crazy
0: mm. i suppose yeah literally on the casting thing it says crazy, crazy ralph. ralph is his name so i guess that's their name for him not ours at one point he even shows up at the camp and he like scares the people and he's like get out of here yeah. this is camp blood
1: yeah it comes out of the pantry yeah yeah <laughs> the pantry
0: <laughs> he's somehow gotten in there uh <laughs> But
1: um, so at one point you think he must be the killer and, you know. and then he's not. And then he's like, yeah, he just kind of bikes into the woods. And I'm like, okay, so he's not going to die? I love him with his bike, like biking away and it's like, (laughs) get out of here, you know.
0: (laughs) So he's one. And then otherwise there aren't that many like suspects that you end up having throughout the film. The only other person that I thought might be a possible suspect would have been, I think his name – I guess the guy's name is Bill because he's like the second to last person to stay alive. Um, but at one point, right oh, before right. all the killings start happening, he has to kill a snake. Uh, one of the girls, I forget who, is in her her cabin and she sees this snake and she's like, "Oh my god, there's a snake! Someone come kill it!" And then the guy, like, I th- I think he has a machete or something, and he <laughs> and then he like. Uh, cuts the snake's head off, which, by the way, looked really real. And I think it was, wasn't it? I actually meant to look that up, so let's check. It looked <laughs> really real to me. Like, I mean, we tried to avoid – or watching Cannibal Holocaust for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, um, Well, yeah, it looked – I mean, it looked real. It, w- it was real. Yeah. yeah, and also there's, like, the thing that I – saw was that actor i mean maybe now knowing that it actually is real maybe he wasn't even acting the look on his face when he does that like there's sort of a long shot like right at his face right after he kills the snake and he has this look of like terror on his face like he's like disgusted and and disturbed by what just happened Um, what he just did. And so for a second, I was like, is it Bill? You know, because I'm like, maybe he got like a bloodlust like after killing the snake. Mm. So that was the only other like suspect I had in my head besides maybe the camp owner because he kind of disappears into town. When he had the same Jeep. And he had a Jeep. Yeah, exactly. So there was like kind of multiple
1: Jeeps Driving around. Because they make it seem that way because he he says, okay, I'm going into town or something like that. So he, like, gets into his Jeep, right, and leaves the camp. Then one of the next scenes is the Jeep coming down the road and then Mm -hmm. picks up Annie – and then I'm like, oh, like, I kind of forgot about this part. And so then I was like, oh, yeah, like, that's the camp owner. He's, And then I'm like, oh, wait. Yeah, oh. <laughs> I think, like, for wh- whatever reason, like, where I was expecting his car to go,
0: like, it, it I was like, wait, that must not be him because he was already out of the camp. So, but, yeah, you're right. Like, that was another little moment where you're like, hmm, could be him, you know. But then, of course, he dies. And actually, he gives us the biggest clue as to who the killer is because when he dies, he's just come back from town. He's had like some weird like flirting thing going on with like the person in the diner. Just just throwing it out there. Um. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so then he comes back and then he's like in the rainstorm and he gets out of his truck and then he's like, oh, what are you doing out here in all this mess? And then he just gets killed. And so then you're like, all right, well, clearly he knows this person and was not right. threatened by yeah. them. Which didn't necessarily eliminate Bill because I don't think he was dead yet at that point. I'm not 100% sure now that I'm there's – there's so many deaths that it's really hard to keep track of who dies when per se. <laughs> but yeah, and then of course the other main kills before we get to the to the final girl um, is, you know, yeah, Kevin Bacon and then his his girlfriend are <laughs> – um they
1: actually have sex that one was also <laughs> like okay really you gotta do him like that like right after he just yeah. and you're just gonna like do him dirty after he's having like a cigarette after sex situation
0: mm-hmm. poor guy
1: well i thought it was really funny that
0: he dies because basically because he was left alone because um marcy goes to <laughs> go to the bathroom and i'm like good job marcy peeing after sex like <laughs> good hygiene um that was a jump scare for me though, like when Kevin Bacon, he's just sitting in the bed and then all of a sudden just this this knife comes through his chest or actually I think it's his yeah. neck. It's his neck, yeah. Like I knew to expect jump scares, but again, older movies don't do that to me as much. So, but I was like, wah.
1: Um, <laughs> I literally like made a little wah sound. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just like that really like solidified for me, at least in this viewing of it because I was paying attention more to it that really solidified for me the idea that like oh this killer does not like they have some sort of complex when it comes to like sex and Mm -hmm. sin like something something with that like there's some sort of thing um yeah because then and it's like everywhere in this movie Mm -hmm. like like the monopoly I I think I saw that in your notes like The strip monopoly, you know, it's so interesting that they chose to set the scene, you know, a week before um, camp actually Mm -hmm. starts. But it's because, you know, these counselors have to have the time and quote unquote freedom to do these like taboo things that they would Mm. when they have like campers around. Yeah, or they'd have to be really sneaky with the campers around. Yeah,
0: Knowing the stories about camp, I know it's possible. But um, but you're right that, like, for movie purposes, the, you know, they're just left to their own devices. Yeah. And one of those devices is to play Strip Monopoly. <laughs> I was like, how does that work? Like, because the girl's just like, let's play Strip Monopoly. I'm going to be the shoe. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, she's been planning this. Um, but, yeah. And then I guess it's – I guess if you land on someone's, like, property, you have to give them an item of clothing, Um, yeah, out of all the things, right? Yeah. And I just know that I would be the first to have to get naked because I'm so bad at Monopoly. Like, it's really a game of luck and I just have horrible luck. And so I just lose horribly (laughs) every time I play that freaking game. So, (laughs) um, so yeah, uh, that was a weird one. I did not expect that, but then they kind of stop in the middle of, of the game. And I think, um, That's what then leads to one of the girls. Yeah, she's like, oh, I left my – I left my window open. Yes, that's what it is because it starts raining when they're there. And then she's like, I left my window open. And (laughs) she leaves during Strip Monopoly. I'm like, you do not leave Strip Monopoly once you've started playing Strip Monopoly until every last person is naked. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and then she goes – well, she's, like, okay, like, I got to go, like, you know, like, take care of the windows or whatever. But then she goes, like, I think – doesn't she go, like, straight to the bathrooms? She didn't even, like, go. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, she didn't even go to her room. Well, at that point, you already know that, yeah, that Marcy has been killed in the bathroom. And so now it's Brenda's turn, you know. Uh, (laughs) It's Brenda's (laughs) turn to get killed. Yeah. Yeah, so then that leaves just Bill and Alice and then, yeah, eventually – Bill gets killed when he goes to that generator. And then it's just Alice left, right? Yeah. Um, and so basically before we did this episode, we on social media said to the people that follow us, which are mostly just our friends and family, um, <laughs> we're gonna be talking about, you know, Friday the 13th. Like, give us any questions, give us any comments about it. And so this person we know, William Jensen, who's a writer. Actually, everybody that commented on this were are writers. Um, so look up their names. Yes. Uh, but William Jensen on Twitter wrote, "Can't wait to listen to this. What feminist themes slash subtext do you see in the film, especially in the context of other horror films, motherhood, Final Girls, etc." So we get to the Final Girl. We find out that the killer is the mother. Yes. What do we think of that from a feminist perspective?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll start us off. First of all, um, shout out to William Jensen. This is an amazing mm-hmm. question. Um, and any chance I get to talk about Final Girls, I take it. Um, also, shout out here to Grady Hendrix oh, yeah. for um, because he has the Final Girls Support Group novel, and I love it. Um, I mean, Final Girls are they're the survivor. Mm-hmm. right? I mean, they, it's in the name, they're the final girl, but it has to be a girl, right? Mm. And they also, final girls have to be innocent. Mm. Like innocent as in pure, as in the embodiment of virginity, in my opinion, because there's always like, you got to have the jock, you got to have the stoner, mm-hmm. you got to have the whore, and then you have the final girl. Mm-hmm. Um there is something to be said about what horror is saying that the final girl is like that embodiment of innocence and virginity and pureness. Whereas the other ones are like jock, right? Is vanity. Um, ego stoner is like, you know, stoner, you know, whatever your views are on drugs. He's doing drugs. Like it's a sin. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then horror will like, yeah, you're like, you're a whore same thing <laughs> it's committing sin yeah so it's kind of like this idea i i think grady Hendrix said it really 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 interesting in his novel where it's like like it's interesting that it ends up being the final girl versus like the very masculine silent killer usually that the killer the slasher killer is like huge and tall and like, they tower over the final girl, but it is the final girl that wins, ultimately, despite that difference in stature. So I don't know. I I love that. I just, I think it's just so interesting to to think of that in the feminist context because it's like, okay, what does that say about what the idealistic view of, like, womanhood is? Mm -hmm. And, like, in the end, like, horror is asking us Male versus female. Like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think?
0: I mean, I think the final girl is definitely the definition of, like, a feminist. Well, it could be viewed as both, right? Because usually it's out of purity that she becomes the final girl. But then also it's a very empowering thing, this idea of being the last person alive in this horrific moment. Like, even the guys, the strong – Cunning guys like couldn't make it, but Mm -hmm. the female could. There's something to that as well. And then that in conjunction with the killer being a woman, Mm -hmm. I've rarely seen that in a film. And again, I'd not remembered the scream thing. So when I'm watching it, like that was a full out shock for me that the mother, that Jason's mother was the killer. And yeah. And so then it's like, not only is she a woman, she's also a mother. And so then there's, there's, all of the things that come with that, like the fact that it was so unexpected, says something. You know, it says, like, we usually view that only only men can be violent. Only men are strong enough to pull off serial killings. Not that I'm saying that women should start. But, you know, it's very rare that you know about, like, <laughs> that you see, like, a woman doing this sort of thing. Um, especially in, like, a, in a slasher way where it's involving brute force. Um, you know, usually... Yeah usually women were killing through poisoning or things like that it's not Mm -hmm. usually through like you know stabbing or or even shooting yeah because i watch a lot of true crime and it's very rare but yeah so i thought that that was really fascinating and then the idea of then this person being a mother and her son having died you know she has a somewhat like not compelling i don't even know if it's fully relatable but it's like she has a We can have some empathy for her in a way that Mm. I don't think we could if it was someone who was just some random dude killing people in the woods. True.
1: It's like crime of passion rather than just Mm. of, like, random, like, killings. Yeah.
0: I think you actually, even in, you know, in the court system, will get a lesser sentence if it's a crime of passion. If they determine that you didn't plan ahead of time – if they determine that you were in enough anguish to do this thing, even though it was wrong, you'll get a lesser sentence, um, maybe fewer years in prison yeah. or something.
1: And that's interesting, too, that you bring that up, because it's also, you know, we get the impression, the, the film implies that she has, like, she's lost her mind. Like, she hears, like, she feels like she's talking to mm-hmm. Jason, or Jason is, like, talking through her. And so the shots of her like up close and she's like talking in like this Jason voice Mm -hmm. of hers is like, mommy, kill, kill them, (laughs) kill them. They deserve it or whatever. And I feel like that also, you know, that implication that she has gone crazy and then her being a woman also is interesting um, to think about in the feminist lens because it's like, like you know we're kind of like women have always been seen as like oh you know they're just crazy Mm -hmm. they're just they're doing this out of lunacy whatever whatever so it's interesting that they chose to have that in her character arc rather than her like being very much so rooted in reality Mm -hmm. she's she's not rooted in reality in this case so that's like Also really interesting. I don't know. Did you think about that at all? I didn't until you just said it. And I really like
0: that, that it's like she's planned these things, but she could only have planned them so far because they clearly show that she has, you know, has developed some sort of schizophrenia, psychosis sort of thing. And you're right, like there is that other trope of like the mad woman in the attic started in Gothic literature, like women – older women especially being sort of banished to the attic yeah. because they're not fit to be around others yeah they're sick they're unwell like that sort of thing it really plays with that um and so I actually also found out that the the guy that was doing the special effects um, in a I think it was a Smithsonian article this guy Tom Savini said that actually so that famous thing. Right? Uh The original words for it were kill, 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 ma, ma, ma. Oh. And so it becomes because of the way that they mixed it, but it was originally the the words kill, 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 ma, ma, ma. Mm, Interesting. Um, And then also at that camp, the Nobibosco camp, in their gift shop, they have a lake water, like in bottles. Called Angry Mother Bottling Company. Like, it, there's a logo that says Angry Mother <laughs> Bottling Company, um, Lake Water, and it sells. Like, it's like a thing. Like, they have it even on their website. So, again, this Angry Mother trope, if it is a trope.
1: I mean, yeah, the only other, like, similar situation in a way where we have, it, I feel like it is somewhat of a trope to have that mother son psychosis, like, mm-hmm. relationship. You know, got that from mm-hmm. Psycho for sure. And I think Psycho was, like, the first to kind of play on that. And then perhaps – I'm trying to think of, like, any other movie that comes off the top of my head that would be in the similar realm. But, yeah, so this is, like, slightly Psycho-esque, but, like, obviously reverse Because in this case, the mom is the one that's doing the killing, not Norman Bates. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, yeah, that's the only other, like, similarity that I could – Kind of see you in the context of other horror mm. films when it comes to like motherhood um, playing in on that um, in that way. Mm. They are a duo,
0: you know, like because by the end, mm-hmm. like Jason
1: is alive sort of um <laughs> see and now that, that's whatever i mean we can kind of get to this other comment that we got from facebook if you want to read it out
0: yeah um so this is from brendan Deneen who is also a writer and he actually used used to work in hollywood and in films and everything so he's part of the horror world to begin with but um so he wrote on facebook to us the last minute of that movie scared the fuck out of me as a kid And I have to agree, I did not expect that last scene where, you know, the final girl, Alice, is out on the lake. She's in a canoe. The cops have just gotten there. The cops have just gotten there. Yeah, she slept through the whole night on the canoe. She's tired. And then just as the cops are, like, going to come get her, this, I don't know, boy, I guess, but very, like, decayed-looking boy just shoots out of the water and takes her under. But then a few seconds later, she wakes up in the hospital. Um, and then mm-hmm.
1: – She's like, where is he? They're like, who? And
0: and she's like, this boy, the, the boy. And they're like, what are you talking about? There's no boy. And she's like, then he's still out there. And then it ends with like the rippling water uh, shot. And I think that was actually a great <laughs> choice. Great, great choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I loved that. I thought it was a big jump scare. And apparently that was how the movie was supposed to end. There was not supposed to be a franchise.
1: Interesting.
0: There were no plans for that. And so they just kind of eventually took it and ran with it and were like, well, he's still out there. So let's run with that Um, because at this point, actually, we should mention that Mrs. Voorhees has been beheaded, much like the snake. Um, (laughs) But like, (laughs) so Alice has killed the, you know, has had a struggle with Mrs. Voorhees and killed her before she got on that canoe. Um, But what did you think of that ending?
1: Yeah, I was a little like confused by it because I was like, I was like, wait, I don't understand. Like, why is she asking about this boy when it was clearly a dream that she woke up from? Like, mm-hmm. I just – there was some sort of, like, mix-up with the logic there for me. Maybe it was just – maybe, like, just editing, perhaps, like, was maybe what was confusing me. Um, but, no, I agree. I mean, it's an iconic ending. Um, and that's really – I did not know that they hadn't planned on doing the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just supposed to be, like, this one-off. Um but yeah I think it definitely is like one of those endings that like leaves you with questions more than answers mm. and so I understood them wanting to like play off of that and create some you know other um narrative with like okay now there's this you know because then we know that the rest of the franchise is about Jason mm. um coming back I guess from like the dead essentially and he's like older <laughs> yeah he's um, somehow like He's gone through puberty under the whole water. <laughs> Yeah, like where the like where did he go? Like where did he sleep? Like what the fuck, right? <laughs> um, but like then it also like I feel like the narrative changed in that that Jason became almost like he had like a physical deformity of some kind oh. and he was um like outcast from the camp and no one treated him nicely so now he's like out for revenge for all the camp counselors like it i feel like it turned into a whole other story so to me friday the 13th the first one is a standalone story that is completely separate from the rest of the
0: franchise yeah and i i Again, having not realized that when I was like, we need to do Friday the 13th, like at first I was like, oh man, once I got done, I was like, maybe we should watch a few others because there's no hockey mask. Like Jason's not even the killer. Like he kills no one, you know? And so I was like, maybe this isn't gonna really capture Friday the 13th, but actually it does. You know, like you're saying, it is really a standalone thing. Um... You know, and even the camp that it was filmed at. Like I was saying, the people that I, you know, lived with, like used to go there. That's the only Friday the Thirteenth film, the first one. That's the only time that it was ever filmed at their camp. Um, no other movies have gone mm. there. So I think even the fact that they completely like changed up all the locations, they changed up everything. It just feels like it became like a different, a different thing once it hit the second, third, fourth, fifth, however many. There are.
1: <laughs> Which I don't think I've seen the second one. I don't think I've seen the second one. I saw the 20, no, 2009 one. That was a remake of this one? That was the re, yeah, remake slash, like, I don't even know, man. Like, maybe an installment from the franchise. Is it worth watching? Um, It's fun, you know. It's, like, definitely, it definitely plays more on, like, the, the jock core, stoner, innocent final girl type situation. Um, That is a little bit more obvious in the 2009 one. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's worth watching. I haven't seen the second one or the third one. actually don't know if I've seen all of them. I don't think so at all. Yeah. And then Freddy versus Jason. Well, at this point, there's so many. That's what
0: happens with these franchises is that's why I've never really gotten into one. I know. Um, but actually in the second movie, he doesn't have a mask in that either, right? So he's wearing a like burlap sack over his head. Yes. So, yeah. So you know, so it would take until that third movie to really even get there to so that like iconic Jason look and story. But I'd be yeah. curious to watch part two of this, just because I think it would was riding as much on the coattails of this first movie, you know, more on it than any of the other films have. Yeah. So I'd be curious to see what they did, but it wasn't even the same director or anything. Um same writer though, I guess. So, uh but I really like this like and and as I was kind of saying before like it was a really pleasant surprise that it was so beautifully shot. Yeah. Yeah. There was something comforting about it. And that was why one of the final comment that we'll read from is uh, from this writer, Amy Gentry. And she wrote on Facebook to me, um, God, I love all the Friday the 13th movies. I know of the franchises it, it has maybe the least cachet these days, but I find it so comforting and cozy. See, comforting. The kills and effects are lots of fun, but I really love the early parts where the teens are just hanging out. They have that loose 70s vibe, and wandering through the forest is always going to be a tiny bit beautiful, even if you get slashed. (laughs) Uh, The ones focused on suburbia, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street feel claustrophobic by comparison, Mm. which is also great, of course but these will always feel like the vacation they are sleepaway camp too. So, yeah, I thought that was a really really beautifully said yeah. about the beauty and how there there is a little bit of this vacation aspect, there's a little bit of this nostalgia,
1: cozy, comfort, comfy, yeah. a
0: lot of it is shot during the daytime You know, there's beautiful shots of the lake. There's beautiful shots of that town that Annie's in in the beginning, which all was in Hope, New Jersey, by the way. So all is in like the North New Jersey, which North Jersey, like New Jersey gets a bad rap. Everyone makes fun of it. But it's actually like one of the most beautiful like areas (laughs) that in Pennsylvania, weirdly. Um, So anyway, if you want to go on a road trip, New Jersey – North Jersey, at least, and uh, Pennsylvania are great places. Um, But yeah, I think that that captured it. And so when I'm watching this, like my first thought within the first five minutes of the movie was, this is beautiful.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it really is. I think it's also like the shots, you know, outside of the nighttime and when the slashing is mostly happening, everything within the daytime is very like slow and steady shots. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just a really good, I guess, like lesson into the juxtaposition of day versus night, light and dark. And again, like this dichotomy, like female, male, final girls, like killer, mm-hmm. like it's a comfort to have this black and white. I think sometimes in movies where are like, OK, this isn't complicated. Like I don't have to put on my like thinking cap too much. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just here to like have a good time and see some slashes and that's, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why I love Friday the 13th. Like I love it for exactly what Amy said, like it's comfort and coziness despite it. You know, obviously there is murder. It's cozy murder, (laughs) but it's a cozy little murder vibes and it's, it's fun and nice. Like murder. She wrote. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess my question maybe to like end it Mm -hmm. off is, and my question to you would be, like, if you had to tell somebody who has never seen this movie before, what would be the best way and, like, environment um, setting to, like, have this person watch the movie?
0: Um, okay. So I feel like this is only based on actual experience, though. But I feel like when we went on the vacation to the Airstream, so it was mm-hmm. like we were camping, sort of, in an Airstream But there was a TV inside there, too, and we had access to, um, like, all different sorts of streaming services. In this case, actually, we had to rent – so that's the other thing. We need a ability to rent it, Um, you know, either in VHS, (laughs) which none of us have VHS, or – I have VHS. Yeah, you have VHS. I (laughs) – (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Do not. <laughs> and we don't know where to find the VHS of Friday the 13th, actually. So so that's why I rented it through Amazon. But yeah, I feel like that's a great way to show it to someone. Like when you're in some sort of outdoorsy camping situation, maybe you're yeah. like glamping a little bit, but you're still trying to get that nostalgia for like returning to the woods. Yeah. During the summer. You're a little bit like out from civilization a yeah, bit. I think so. Because it's not that scary. Mm-hmm. So it like – and it be, has the the sort of supernatural-ish ending, which really takes it out of the real world. Um yeah. So even though there's some jump scares, like it's not going to freak the person the F out.
1: And I think too, like you got to be having a Coke, um, Coca-Cola <laughs> in the bottle. In the you bottle. You got to be drinking it from Glass the bottle. bottle. Uh-huh. And then you got to have a, extra buttered popcorn. Oh, Okay. And um, peanut M and M's and Twizzlers <laughs> and Twizzlers.
0: So we really are glamping then, because because <laughs> if it was normal camping, it would be like like what is it like freeze dried like
1: oh yeah just, like jerky Jerky, yeah <laughs> <laughs> no 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 none no of jerky. that. And in in an Airstream slash like you set up, you somehow are able to set up a projector in the middle of nowhere woods. <laughs> I think that would be the best place to see this movie. 10 out of 10 for um, its cultural significance and what it's done for the horror genre. It's just, it's fun. It's not a good movie, but like, do we watch horror to watch good movies? No. It's just a nice surprise when it is good. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice. It's like, oh, Oh, wow, that was good. (laughs) It's it's nice. But yeah, so that's that's kind of our uh little lowdown on um summer camp horror. This is our first, I guess I'm gonna say it's installment because we do want to do at least, at least one more um summer camp horror. Mm-hmm. And so I really love the like what you decided to do, Steph, with like bringing in um, like friends Mm -hmm. and like listeners Mm -hmm. in on the conversation so they feel a part of it. And so I feel like this should be like a regular thing where we tell people in advance like what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And if they have any comments or questions towards the end of the episode, I think that that is also just a really good way to structure our discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think like, and maybe when
0: we're at the point of Being even more on top of stuff at the end of our episodes, we can say we're going to be doing this specific thing next. I think right now we're kind of floating because we know what we want to do, but we're just figuring out what we're going to do next. There's just so many options. Yeah, just so many options. But um, but keep an eye out for those of you who are listening and want to participate in these discussions or give us questions ahead of time. Um, you know we're on Instagram. So Basement Girls Podcast is on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Uh, eventually on blue sky and all that stuff since everyone's leaving Twitter, (laughs) or you can always, uh, you know, check out our website and then contact us through that. My email address is on my website. So, um, yeah, yeah, so I think that's, you know, we're trying to keep these a little shorter, so I guess we're just going to have to end it there slash slash (laughs) (laughs) Um, and slash end slash. (laughs) But, uh, but I guess we do have to do our ASMR. As the reward. Yes. Um, and I have some thing that I know that you'll be
1: excited about uh, for
0: me. Oh, my gosh. Show okay. me.
1: So I have – And I'll, I have one crumb of hot Cheeto left that I was saving. Oh, whoa. One crumb. <gasps> Dots. Yeah, so Honeyweed. Yeah. So if
0: people haven't heard of Dots pretzels yet, they are – they've taken the world by storm. Missing out. Like – Bianca's uh former like roommate like had a bag of dots, right? And sh- she wouldn't even let you no. she was like those are my dots, you can't have them. <laughs> and she's and she's like really like, she always lets me eat her stuff, but Dots, <laughs> She no. said no. Um, so, yeah, I have these Dots pretzels. They have all different sorts of flavors. The original is the best, but I have um, their honey mustard seasoned uh, pretzel twists. So, they're like honey mustard, honey wheat sort of flavor. So,
1: I will crunch to, <laughs> to, to those. Sorry, Sorry, yeah, I, just, I? Like, choked on her one and crumb of. <laughs> I have... I mean, yeah, I have Hot Cheetos, Flamin' Hot Cheetos, Crunchy. Those juicy Flamin' Hot Cheetos. I don't – f- yeah, juicy. <laughs> juicy. Juicy, juicy, juicy. Um, I don't have – I just have one crumb because I got carried away earlier, <laughs> so I will ASMR to okay. that. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> I don't know if anyone I hope our can listeners hear you, Bianca. Don't ha- I know. crunch, crunch, what crunch. You crunch. That I don't like. I hope that none of like. I hope that there isn't a listener or listeners out there that like have the phobia of like people chewing or eating their food <laughs> loudly. And if you do have that, I'm so sorry. But that's just how we how we end things mm-hmm. um, around around these parts. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening to our episode about friday the 13th as steph said um follow us on all the social medias even the ones that are being taken over by um corrupt billionaires even there um (laughs) even even there check us out we'll be the final girls (laughs) (laughs) that's a good one Um, you can uh follow along for my shenanigans. I'm really mostly on Instagram these days. Um, at Bianca Perez underscore poeta that is poet and then with an A at the end. Um, if you didn't know, that is poet in Spanish. <laughs> <Poeta>. Um, <laughs> and so you can see all the selfies that I like to post because <laughs> I like. How my face looks, yeah. um, we do too. And Steph, where can we follow you?
0: I think everything is at Steffi Grossman because Steph Grossman is taken by some asshole. I don't know who it is. <gasps> that bitch. It's, it's Steph. Steph. That's yeah. who it is. But it's all at Steffi Grossman, except on Blue Sky. She wasn't cool enough to have a uh, <laughs> an invite, so, she, <laughs> so I think that one. I'm at Steph Grossman, but everything else is at Steffi Grossman. So that's us. Oh, so. Okay. On three, we'll do our little mm-hmm. goodbye. So, one, two, three. Bye. Bye. <laughs>